You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hello and welcome to a new episode of 1947, The Road to Indian Independence, a special podcast series presented to you by the Hindustan Times to mark India at 75. Nineteen thirty-nine was a historic year. The war broke out in Europe, and the clash between different streams of the Indian nationalist movement broke out at home. Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose, the young political lion from Bengal, had joined the national movement and was inspired by Gandhi. But over the years, his differences with the Mahatma and his protégés sharpened over ideology and tactics. With his term as the Congress president for a second time curtailed due to internal maneuverings in 1939, and with a belief that the nationalist goal must be focused on defeating the British, Netaji decided to embark on his own path. Bose's decision to work with Germany and Japan, an enemy's enemy is a friend, as the old adage goes, marked a striking departure from the nationalist consensus at home. His subsequent leadership of the Indian National Army inspired the young, and by creating a new, inclusive armed force to fight for independence, Bose pioneered a new form of struggle. But in 1945, Netaji died in a tragic and sudden air crash, bringing the curtains down on an illustrious political career, and leaving historians with a bunch of counterfactuals. To discuss Netaji's role in the freedom struggle, INA. and his contested legacy i'm delighted to welcome to this podcast the historian the former parliamentarian and netaji's accomplished biographer sugata bose sugata ji of course has a unique vantage point he's also netaji's grand nephew welcome sir thank you very much it's a pleasure to be on with hindustan times so draw for us netaji's early nationalist career what was his role in the congress through the 1920s and 30s Uh, Shubhash Chandra Bose uh, resigned from the Indian Civil Service in 1921 and plunged uh, into the non-violent non-cooperation movement uh, led by Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, on arrival in Bombay, he rushed to see Gandhi ji at Mani Bhavan in Bombay and uh, after taking Gandhi ji's instruction, he came across to Calcutta and uh, took part uh, in the nationalist uh, struggle under the leadership of Deshobandhu Chittaranjan Das uh, for the next two decades uh, he took active part uh, in all of the major movements including the non-cooperation movement and the civil disobedience movement of the early 1930s um, he of course uh, spent uh, long years in prison and exile Uh, for example in the mid 1920s uh, he was in burmese prisons for two and a half uh, years and in the 1930s he spent a good bit of uh, time uh, in uh, europe as india spokesman abroad from 1933 to 1936 he was always a step ahead uh, of other leaders of the indian national congress For example, uh, at the Calcutta session of the Congress in 1928, he called for Purnaswaraj, complete independence, 
uh, when the formal Congress position was to ask for dominion status. But of course, in a year's time, the Congress also veered round to the view that Purna Swaraj or complete independence should be the goal. Uh, he reached the uh, apex uh, of his political career in India in 1938, when he became president of the Indian National Congress. Uh, he gave a marvelous presidential address at Haripura in Gujarat uh, in February of 1938. He not only set out uh, his strategy for winning independence, but uh, he also was a far-sighted statesman and uh, he offered a blueprint for the social and economic reconstruction of India uh, once uh, freedom was won. And then, as you mentioned, uh, in 1939, there was a parting of the ways. Uh, he uh, won re-election uh, as Congress president, uh, defeating Gandhi's favored candidate. Um, that was the first time it happened in about 20 years. And even though Shubhashtandra Bose said that he had no quarrel with Gandhi, but there were the Gandhiites or Gandhi's followers uh, who made it difficult for him to continue as president. And therefore he resigned uh, on April 29th, 1939 as Congress president. He wanted Gandhiji to launch another mass movement straight away. He had also formed the National Planning Committee as Congress president and he wanted uh, some kind of a socialist uh, reconstruction of, of India. And he was also adamantly opposed to the British plan of federation with the princely states, uh, which would have brought in the autocratic princes to counterbalance the democratic representatives of uh, the British Indian provinces. So for all of these reasons, there were disagreements with the Gandhian right wing and he decided to step down and, uh, as president and he uh, formed a group which he hoped would push the Congress towards a more radical position. You know, what, were, what was his relationship like with the Mahatma? Uh, a lot has been written about his differences, but clearly, as you mentioned, he joined the movement inspired by the Mahatma's leadership. Why did he fall out with Gandhi and his followers. There were those principal issues that you referred to, but why were they not able to find a way to carve a common ground? I think that there was a lot of common ground uh, between Mahatma Gandhi and Shubhash Chandra Bose. I think uh, that Shubhash Chandra Bose uh, held Mahatma Gandhi in deep reverence. Uh, he sometimes did not like the fact that Gandhi compromised with the British at the wrong moment uh, when he called off the non-cooperation movement or entered into the Gandhi-Urban truce of 1931. But these were disagreements on policy. Uh, he recognized that Gandhiji had offered the country a novel means of struggle, non-violent non-cooperation, at a time when constitutionalism was dead and uh, isolated armed insurrections uh, were not getting the country anywhere. And he understood that in a country that was almost fully disarmed, uh, Gandhi's strategy uh, of nonviolent civil disobedience made a lot of sense. Even 
after uh, his victory as Congress president in the election of uh, late January of 1939, Subhash Chandra Bose said that it would be a tragedy for him if he won the confidence of everyone else in India, but not the confidence of India's greatest man. Uh, so that was his position. And at that time, he kept saying that, uh, let us come to an agreement. But uh, Gandhiji, uh, I think, was not very pleased that his authority had been challenged in 1939. And so even though Shubhash Bose said that his disagreements were with some of his followers and not with him, uh, they could not work out an understanding at that stage. But what I will say, this is of course a later story, that um, both of them came much closer in their aims and ideology once Gandhiji launched the Quit India movement in 1942. And after that, you will see that every statement that they made about each other uh, was infused with the deepest respect. In fact, just before um, uh, Netaji's escape from India, Gandhiji had written a letter, you are irrepressible whether ill or well. Do get well before going in for fireworks. That's fascinating. How did Netaji respond to the war? Netaji felt that this was an opportunity. An international war crisis uh, was an opportunity for India to strike for Indian independence. And uh, he had seen that during the 20 years that he had been in the movement for freedom from 1921 onwards, India's civilian masses had rallied to the leadership of Gandhi. He himself had inspired students and youth alongside Jawaharlal Nehru. But he saw that India's soldiers were still loyal to the British King Emperor. And he felt that the Second World War uh, opened up the possibility of reaching out to these soldiers, subverting their loyalty to the British King Emperor and instilling in them a new allegiance to the cause of the Indian nation. And that is why uh, he took the decision to escape uh, from India in 1941 to raise an army of liberation abroad. He, as you said, he was imprisoned, he escaped in 1941, and then he goes to Europe. Take us through his in international engagements in that period, both in Europe and then in Japan. Well, first of all, I should point out that uh, uh, he had spent quite a lot of time abroad uh, between 1933 and 1936, and again briefly in late 1937 and the beginning of 1938. So he always believed that uh, one should uh, try and cultivate uh, international support for the cause of Indian independence. But uh, in 1940, uh, he was in prison. At the beginning of July 1940, uh, he was arrested by the British, uh, put in presidency jail, and therefore uh, he had to go on a hunger strike in November of 1940. He told the British, release me or I shall refuse to live. And he said, uh, you know, one individual 
uh, may have to die for an idea, but his ideas will live on in others. The British decided to uh, not have him die in prison, so they sent him to his home at 38 by 2 Elgin Road in Calcutta, where he was kept under very close watch. I have myself read the documents where there were about 14 intelligence agents reporting uh, on him. And in early December 1940, he called my father, Shishir Kumar Bose, his uh, nephew, who was a young medical student, and made him sit next to him on his bed and asked him a searching question. Can you do some work for me? And what was going to be that work? It was to help him plan and execute the escape from India. So uh, they uh, confabulated for more than a month. A foolproof plan was made. And then on the night of 16th, 17th January of 1941, my father drove his uncle, his Ranga Kakababu as he called him, uh, in his wanderer car from Calcutta uh, all the way to Gomo. Uh, in fact, uh, on the first night, they went to a place called uh, Barari in near Dhanbad by early morning. Then Netaji, who was in disguise as Muhammad Ziauddin, a North Indian Muslim insurance agent traveling around on business, he was kept hidden during the day and then taken again the next night, the 17th, 18th January night to Gomo Railway Junction. There my father saw him off and uh, uh, Shubhash Chandra Bose took the Delhi Kalka mail up to Delhi, then the frontier mail to Peshawar. Uh, from Peshawar, he hitchhiked his way to Kabul. And then in Kabul, he was uh, stuck for some time, uh, but then he was able to get a passport in the name of Orlando Matsota, an Italian diplomatic courier. And in that disguise, he traveled uh, to Moscow uh, in the Soviet Union and then uh, on to Berlin. At first, he thought he would raise an army of liberation which would uh, come to liberate India from the Northwest. But when Germany invaded the Soviet Union about uh, three months later, in June of 1941, those plans had to be abandoned. And after Japan entered the war in uh, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, he wanted uh, to travel from Europe to Asia. It took some time for that, those travel arrangements to be made, but eventually he made an epic uh, submarine voyage uh, from Europe to Asia between February and May of 1943. Uh, it was a daring journey and uh, he arrived in Asia and uh, took the leadership of the Indian National Army, uh, formed the Azad Hind government and uh, fought for India's freedom. You know, in your case, the personal and the political really come together, don't they? Uh, what were his meetings in Europe like? He met the Nazi leadership, including Hitler, right? Uh, he met uh, Hitler uh, once uh, uh, in uh, May of uh, 1942. And uh, he, of course, wanted a declaration of Indian independence from Germany and Italy. Uh, Italy was more inclined to give such a declaration. He was deeply unhappy in Germany. 
he actually condemned uh, Germany's invasion of the Soviet Union because it had upset uh, all of his uh, plans. In fact, he was probably the only person in wartime Europe who actually wrote letters to the German foreign pro- uh, minister uh, Ribbentrop uh, criticizing uh, Germany's uh, decision uh, to attack the Soviet Union. So he was uh, unhappy uh, in Europe, even though uh, he was able to set up a free India center with Indian exiles, including students. And in microcosm, he was able to build an India of his dreams. It was in Europe that he adopted uh, Rabindranath Tagore's Janagana Mono Dhinayaka Jaya as the national anthem. It was there that he uh, chose Jai Hind to be India's uh, uh, national greeting. But from early 1942, he was really very keen to leave Europe and uh, go to Asia, not just because Japan had reached the gates of India by overrunning uh, Burma, but also because he knew that in Asia, he would find a much larger Indian civilian base of support. So he came to Japan, he got the Declaration of Independence um, from uh, Premier uh, General Tojo. Um, And you have to just consider 1943. Early 1943, he was still in Europe. He made his last public appearance on what was then our Independence Day, 26th of January. He made a wonderful speech. Janaganamana was played as the national anthem. He set off from Europe on the 9th of February of 1943 in a submarine, arrived in May of 1943. And then in early July, he took over as Supreme Commander of the Indian National Army. On the 21st of October, he proclaimed the Azad Hind government. He had already been to Burma in late July and August. And then before the year was out, by late December 1943, He was standing on Indian soil on the Andaman and Nicobar Islands, and he was paying tribute to generations of revolutionaries who had suffered in the cellular jail. So just imagine the story of one man uh, in the course of one year uh, during the Second World War. And then, of course, the battle for freedom was fought by his Indian National Army during 1944 and 1945 on Indian soil. Indeed, the dynamism is striking, uh, uh, even in retrospect. What was his vision of INA and how did he go about operationalizing it? Netaji had formed an Indian legion in Europe, but he left that behind. Um, On the 4th of July, he accepted the leadership of the uh, Indian independence movement uh, in Southeast Asia. He made a stirring speech uh, in Hindustani. Uh, you know, when he said, when we go to the Red Fort and hold our victory parade there, he wasn't able to complete his sentence because of the applause that greeted him. And he said, um, Whether we individually live or die, that does not matter. What matters is that India shall be free. And he said 5th of July 1943 was the proudest day of his life uh, because he became the first soldier in India's Army of Liberation. 
What was most striking about the INA was that he united Hindus, Muslims, Sikhs, Christians by according them equal respect and equal rights. No one, no other Indian leader had succeeded in crafting that kind of unity. He also brought together uh, people from all of the regions, all of the different linguistic groups of India. He shattered the British spurious anthropological theory of martial races and castes. There were, of course, many professional soldiers, Punjabis, Pathans, uh, Punjabis were Hindus, Muslim Sikhs from all religious communities who joined his Indian uh, National Army. But he also recruited uh, those who had been regarded as non-martial by the British. Most of the Indian civilians in Southeast Asia were from the South uh, and uh, most of them were Tamils. They also became part of the movement. And um, so that I think was his major achievement. He also made sure that women were very much part of the movement. He had long believed in the equality uh, of uh, men and women, uh, just as he believed in the equality and unity of all of the religious communities and linguistic groups of India. So he formed a Rani of Jhansi regiment uh, of the Indian National Army uh, as well. Uh, and uh, he uh, moved forward his headquarters from Singapore to Rangoon in January of 1944 and, uh, and then crossed uh, the Indo-Burma frontier, the INA crossed the Indo-Burma frontier in March of 1944. How did the INA then fare in both Burma and the Northeast? It was working along with Axis powers with Japan. Uh, British forces were uh, defending the territory. Uh, what happened in the war? and in the military domain? Uh, one uh, point that has to be taken into consideration is that uh, Netaji probably arrived from Europe uh, in Asia a, a little too late. Had he been able to travel in 1942, the war situation would have been completely different. Uh, but even uh, after arriving in 1943, as you can see, uh, these were almost miraculous achievements, as SAIR has written, just between July of 1943, when he arrived in Singapore, and what he was able to achieve in a short period of time. The Indian National Army fought very bravely in the Battle of Imphal and Kohima. And uh, in hindsight, uh, or with hindsight, in retrospect, it might be possible to say that perhaps the Japanese made a strategic mistake by laying siege to Imphal. Uh, Netaji would have preferred to let the British retreat um, to the next line of defense, which would have been the Chotanagpur Plateau, because he was very keen uh, to enter Assam and Bengal, where he felt that the Indian National Army would be a catalyst, which would bring about a massive civilian uprising because the people of India would rise in his support. But what happened was that even though military historians say that Imphal was touch and go, the Battle of Imphal, which was one of the bloodiest battles of the Second World War, could have gone either way. 
And in fact, in April of 1944, it looked as if Imphal might fall very soon. But the British were able to survive the siege, and that is largely because the British had American air support. While the Japanese were not able to give the Indian National Army or indeed even their own Japanese forces on the ground support from the air. And that is why ultimately after three or four months, the siege of Imphal was broken and eventually the Indian National Army was uh, pushed back and had to retreat to Burma. But even in Burma, they fought very brave rearguard actions all the way up to April or May of 1945. And in fact, Netaji's retreat with some of his soldiers, with the women of the Rani of Chhasi Regiment from uh, Burma walking to Thailand is in fact uh, one of the most glorious episodes in our freedom struggle. And that has been described by uh, S.A. Ayer, by Janaki Athinahappan, who accompanied Netaji during uh, that retreat. So it was a stirring example of sacrificial patriotism, uh, which would uh, inspire uh, Indians once they got to hear uh, the entire saga, uh, learn about the entire saga of the Indian National Army and its leader, Netaji Shubhashchandra Bose. Indeed, you know, even after his death, it seems to have captured popular imagination like few other events. The INA trials in Delhi became a cause for popular mobilization, didn't they? And even Congress leaders who may have disagreed with Netaji's methods stepped up to defend those who were uh, on trial. Yes, um, you know, uh, the British had tried to suppress uh, all news and information about the Indian National Army during the Second World War. But they made a classic error of decision uh, after the war ended. They decided to put on trial publicly uh, at the Red Fort three officers of the Indian National Army. And from their point of view, they made a second classic error. Uh, they decided uh, to uh, choose the one Hindu, Prem Kumar Saigal, uh, one Muslim, Shanawas Khan, and one Sikh, Gurbak Singh Dhillan, for the first trial that began in uh, uh, November of 1945. And of course, there was a lot of coverage of the movement and the entire story of uh, the Indian National Army and Netaji, what they had achieved between 1943 and August 1945 came out. The people of India got to know about it. Until then, some had heard Netaji's broadcast secretly. They had a faint inkling of what was happening in Southeast Asia. But now the full story came out. And Mahatma Gandhi himself said that Netaji's name is one to conjure with. And he felt that the regular forces now have been stirred into a new political consciousness and are now demanding independence. Jawaharlal Nehru, who had been sceptical during the war, put on his barrister's gown for the first time in a quarter of a century to join the INA defense team at the trial, which was brilliantly led by Bhulabhai Desai and Tej Bahadur Sapru. And uh, so it was in the winter of 1945-1946 that there was a huge popular movement in support of Netaji's soldiers. And it also united all of the different political parties and organizations 
Hindus, Muslims, Sikhs, Christians all came together. Uh, and even though the Red Fort Three were sentenced to deportation for life, which was the same sentence as was given to Bahadur Shah Zafar uh, in uh, 1858, Claude Auchinleck, the commander-in-chief, had to release these soldiers, these officers of the INA, in three days by the 3rd of January. And so, you know, the British Indian Army had been the ultimate instrument of colonial control, not just in India, but across the British Empire. And by destroying that instrument, Netaji paved the way not only for India's freedom, but also the freedom of other countries which were suffering under the British yoke. So at this time, of course, Netaji had died in uh, the sudden and tragic air crash. What happened and why did his death become so controversial? Uh, there should not be any controversy about his death. Uh, there is overwhelming evidence and the eyewitness testimony of so many uh, that he died on the 18th of August 1945. And in fact, uh, he was the only front-rank leader of the Indian freedom struggle to lay down his life on the battlefield, fighting for India's freedom. This is something that Indians should be proud of and should honor him for that because he was trying to move from one battlefield to another as the Shanawas committee said in its report in 1956 he was moving in a japanese bomber uh, and i think what happened was that um, there was in the early decades after independence a yearning among the common people for his return There were so many problems in this country that many hoped that he had somehow made another great escape and would come back as a savior and solve all of the country's problems. Now that is a popular sentiment that one can understand and even respect. But unfortunately, uh, over a period of time, there were some people. who would just exploit that popular sentiments to make all kinds of absurd claims about uh, having spotted him uh, here or there and unfortunately in the 21st century there has always also been an attempt especially during the period that the last commission of inquiry was holding its uh, hearings to deliberately fabricate stories and some of them are deeply demeaning to netaji and that's why i think that the younger generation in india should now be mature enough to come to terms with what i have described as the mortal end of a deathless hero there is so much to learn from his book of life so that should be the focus let us learn from his great accomplishments and the values which he held dear of which i think the most important at this stage is in india is his faith in samya vada samya equality and unity of all genders all religious communities all linguistic groups all castes and communities 
Indeed, but there was another element of his legacy, right? And how do you look back at that? Uh, here was a man who was inspired by Gandhi's nonviolence, but clearly by the late 30s, he had an ambivalent attitude towards violence and the use of violence in the quest for freedom. Here was a man who was a socialist in his beliefs, but ended up collaborating with fascists. Uh, here was a man who ended up collaborating with Axis powers who lost. Which, what does all of this say about his political judgment? Do you think that it's important to also look at that element and how, or or is this with the benefit of hindsight that people make, can, can make arrive at easy judgments? Well, um, there was a third side in the Second World War. It wasn't just the Allies and the Axis powers. And that third side uh, was composed of the colonized peoples of Asia and Africa. And Netaji Shubhashchandra Bose chose that side. He was simply taking advantage of an international war crisis. He wanted to take advantage of the conflict between what he called the old imperial powers and the new imperial powers to win freedom, not just for India, but also the other peoples of Asia and Africa uh, who were suffering under British and also French, Dutch and American uh, imperial rule. And as I explained, um, it wasn't just a question of a simple adage of the enemy's enemy is my friend. The most corrosive aspect of our subjecthood was that there were Indians who were holding Indians in subjection. There were Indians who were fighting for the British rather than for the honor of India. And that he had changed. And to do that, he had to have access to these soldiers being held by the enemies of Britain. And let us not forget that Franklin Roosevelt had to shake hands with Joseph Stalin, the other mass murderer of the 20th century, in order to defend America's national interest. And therefore, Netaji also had to have dealings with a monstrous regime, such as that of Hitler, for the cause of India and India's uh, national uh, interest. I think uh, it's something that we really need to bear in mind and also just think. Uh, I'm talking to you sitting in Calcutta at Netaji Bhavan. I've talked about 1943 and the glorious achievements of Netaji during that year. But what else is 1943 in Bengal remembered for? The Great Bengal Famine, which was a man-made famine. Winston Churchill was culpable for the deaths of anywhere between three and a half million and four million people in India. And Netaji was trying from Burma to send rice supplies, food relief, and those offers were being nervously suppressed by the British sitting in Delhi, while Churchill himself would not send any kind of relief in the form of food to suffering India. So these are aspects of the Second World War that we must also take into account. And 
and therefore without saying a word in defense of the monstrous regimes in Europe uh, uh, what we can say is that it was for the freedom of the colonized peoples of Asia and Africa that Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose made the choices that he did and i think those were the correct choices to make in the uh, second world war even gandhi had said uh, to louis fisher that your pre- uh, your uh, uh, allies talk about freedom and democracy uh, but where is freedom and democracy for us in india agree or disagree with his methods there is little doubt that netaji was a transformative figure in india's freedom struggle he left a legacy that India would do well to remember even today he created an inclusive diverse force of all ethnicities all religions both genders and ensured that that force could challenge the might of the british empire thank you so much sir for taking us through netaji's life journey for sharing both the personal elements of his struggle but also the larger political prism with which he operated Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to talk to you and perhaps I should end with the greeting which Netaji gave us Jai Hind. Jai Hind. At India at 75 that's a greeting that we must use and remember that it was Netaji who gave us that greeting. Please stay with us on this journey as we explore the next phase in India's freedom struggle. This episode of 1947 Road to Indian Independence was conceptualized and hosted by Prashant Shah. It was produced by Deepthi Ahuja. The sound design and editing is by Amrinder Singh. For more updates on this podcast, follow HD Smartcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn. To listen to more such podcasts, log on to hdsmartcast.com. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.